Josh, just say that line right there. Zell, I'm not doing this. Come on, it'll be funny. No, no, it won't. These are never funny. Yeah, they are. People laugh at them. Who? Who laughs? People. Your mom. No, not just her. Katie's, Katie's mom also says they're funny. Yeah, that's my point. All right, let's start the show. Hello and welcome to Don't Kill the Vibe, where we talk about what's new, what's good, and what's not so good in the wide world of dance music and beyond. I'm Zell McCarthy. Katie Bain is on assignment and sitting in her chair is the notorious Joshua Glazer. Welcome, Josh. Hey, Zell. Thanks for having me. Josh is a Detroit boy who for years was the editorial purveyor of the influential Herb magazine. He did some time in Berlin and now we have him back in Los Angeles. He's the creator and host of the Rave Curious podcast. Um, for those who are curious about Rave Curious, tell us... Tell us what we need to know. Rave Curious is a <laughs> there's too many curiouses in there. Yeah, I mean, uh, Rave Curious is a podcast uh, that that I created and host um, as part of uh, the Vice Podcast Network. Uh, it's put out by Thump, and it's basically uh, open and honest interviews with uh, DJs and producers, uh, occasionally promoters and other people. Uh, but yeah, it's basically just a chance to sit down with some, you know, usually just one other person, um, usually a DJ, usually someone I've, I've known for a while, and we just get to have a nice long conversation about, you know, kind of about everything, but, you know, particularly dance music. So. And you guys go pretty deep. These are, like, meaningful conversations. I, <laughs> I, tr- I try. For I hope, the most part. I hope so. I mean, look, I, I, I think when, you know, Zell, I remember when I came up with this idea and was telling you about it before we started uh, just over a year ago, I, th- I think I, I told you I was going to be the Mark Maron of techno. Yes, exactly. So, <laughs> so that's uh, yeah, that's 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 what I'm trying to do, and and the response has been great. Every you know all the guests who have come in have uh, you know have really enjoyed themselves, and yeah, the the point was I as, as a as a music journalist, you're constantly you know engaging with artists, but the stuff that comes out is rarely the best stuff. It's you know the best conversation usually happens after after the microphone is turned off. That is that is sometimes the case even here. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm you guys, sure. You guys are getting the best stuff right now. But uh, but yeah, so the idea was that, you know, rather than, you know, kind of have this formal interview and then, you know, edit it and write about it and, you know, put the stuff in context, just talk to someone for an hour. Yeah. And and usually you'll find that, you know, the stuff the stuff most people want to talk about, it's it's not necessarily about, you know, techno or dance music right. or whatever it's you know things people want to talk about are pretty universal and and i think that you know hopefully we've had some conversations like that you know i've also had some that are <laughs> <laughs> not that check but. those out i i definitely think you are more the mark Marin of techno which is better than what your other path was which i think we talked about this too the andy rooney of techno. <laughs> yeah, was... the, the andy rooney of tech well yeah i i don't see them as mutually exclusive <laughs> yeah, we haven't ruled that one out uh, mark Marin is, is strictly andy rooney 30 years <laughs> exactly 30 years younger and I, I don't know if anybody listening to this podcast will necessarily even know who mark Marin or google andy these rooney names. are um, no, probably not. We we skew younger than the Andy Rooney demographic. Well, <laughs> so doesn't? do my parents. Exactly. So. On this show today, uh, not only do we have Josh, but we welcome songwriter Whitney Phillips. 
you may not know her name, but you've definitely heard her work because she's written for Lil Wayne, Steve Aoki, Kylie Minogue, and Morgan Page. She has a brand new tune out with Far East Movement and Tinashe, and we're going to talk to her about that. Uh, oh, I, I, this is my line. <laughs> your, your turn. Sorry, I didn't realize I had more lines. <laughs> um, also, Katie has an eye-opening conversation with sexpert Psalm Isadora about doing it in the age of Tinder. And Crystal Rodriguez joins us with talk about some hot new music. That's true. Don't you love that name, Psalm Isadora? Psalm Isadora. What what better name for a sex expert? But first, some of the hot stories everyone's talking about. Josh, right now, it is ADE, the Amsterdam Dance Event. You and I are in Hollywood, California. It's a very long way from the Netherlands. I, I'm okay with it. I'm kind of not okay with it. Oh, no. I mean, I, I, AD, ADE, for, for those who, who don't know, is it's a massive festival that takes place um, all across the city of Amsterdam. So you have everything from you know, 70,000 people dancing to EDM in, in the big stadium to you know, awesome underground parties with like Ricardo Villalobos and, and this, this whole great blend. Plus, you know, when, with, you know, in addition to all these parties going on everywhere, you also have what, what is still, I think, a really good, really smart conference where people from the industry all get together and uh, and you know really talk about interesting things and really interesting panels and it's a place to actually you know kind of meet and and greet and you know see people you don't get to see all the time yeah um, so yeah so I'm, I'm I'm bummed I'm not there it's a good conference it's uh if you live in the states it's definitely a big investment if you live in Europe I think it's necessary to attend at least once in your in your life even if you're not working in the industry going to Amsterdam that week means you get to see not only the biggest and best who you know, but you get exposed to a lot of brand new music that you've never heard of before. It's it's exciting. Well, and that's the thing is with Amsterdam, it's just being in Amsterdam is amazing no matter what. Amsterdam in autumn is just has this amazing life yeah, to it. The, true. You know the the decay and the, the sweet decay in the air. Zell <laughs> is I, I miss it so much yes. here in here in Hollywood, uh, where we only have one season. But yeah, you you we have, have these... at least two. <laughs> but we have, you know, you have these amazing parties, and um, yeah, I've had some some just great adventures there. And I mean, I went to my first ADE, and I was living in LA, maybe two thousand four, two thousand five, yeah. um, and I got to go out when it was still really small. But it, uh, you know, it, it's a great way to, you know, to to feel like you're really part mm-hmm. of of a global community. And it's, I think, it's one of those events where, as it's grown, it has not actually suffered size has only somehow I, I agree made it better because they've managed to it's a little more know, expensive but the uh, hotels I, and stuff I've never <laughs> I've never paid we've never I've never paid for them either um yeah. but it's uh but it's, yeah. it's a great event and I'm, I'm kind of sad I'm not there but uh, you know I the real reason why I'm not there is because I'm I'm here doing the show and had committed to that but also they didn't invite me back <laughs> and I I was really af- upset by this because I've like I've like run a keynote. I've like moderated. Uh, me too. And, me too. But you know, I was, and, and it was real easy when I was living in Berlin, and I was a, you know, did they ask Euro you this flight. year? No, they didn't ask me either. Because did they just? I think they. I think they know where. Well, at least for me, I, I just. They. I guess it's because they know I'm not a sixty euro flight. Now I'm a, you know, six hundred euro flight, and they just maybe don't want to. They did include a picture of me in their booklet. I was sent a, a photo of that. Really? But, yeah. Oh, like on one of your panels? 
Uh, yeah, like a photo from last year. It's in their magazine this year. Oh, but you didn't get to do one of the cool like photos, the DJ photos that they always do, the, like super dramatic, <laughs> no, high contrast. As I'm not a DJ, they didn't ask me to, that, that to do that. That would that, be, does... that would have been much cooler. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, Amsterdam is is amazing, and I think that you know, it's if 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 you have the opportunity to go, um, it's it's definitely a way to level up. In, yeah, uh, in clubbing and Amsterdam, you know, another thing that people I, I I don't know if people know, but you know. Amsterdam at this point is probably the most, you know, lively scene in Europe. I mean, people talk about I agree. You know, people talk about Berlin as this like, you know, techno capital, but you look at you look at Amps, you know, what's going on in Amsterdam on any given weekend and it's it's just as vibrant. And I feel like, you know, Berlin can be really overwhelming for the uninitiated and also the culture of Berlin can sometimes feel I mean you can feel very judged there if you don't have as sophisticated a musical palette <laughs> as uh, as maybe I guess. Well, well, in should. Amsterdam, you can still buy a presale ticket and go to whatever show you want. Exactly, um, you can buy a ticket. You know <laughs> that 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 said, one thing I've I've realized in Amsterdam is it is a little more. It's a little less sociable when you're there. People right. tend to you know get together with their friends, decide what party they're going to go to or parties they're going to go to, buy their tickets. And go with their friends, hang out with their friends, party with their friends, take drugs with their friends, and then leave with their friends. But you've never like met, made new Dutch friends because I have. Oh yeah, I've I've made lots of. <laughs> the look that Josh is giving me is uh, every every single ADE says more than what his every, every single ADE. Um, which may be the real reason why I can't go because I'm actually getting married in three weeks. Yeah, which is the actual reason why I am not at ADE right now. But still, it would have been nice to have been invited, both of us. So, Buma Netherlands, Boo-hoo. the organization that that uh, puts on Amsterdam Dance Event, we would appreciate an invite next year. Next year, 20, 2017. Yeah, we'll do we'll do a live podcast. We'll do two live. We podcasts. will do whatever you want. We'll do your live podcast. No, <laughs> no, we'll do your live podcast yeah. and we'll do my live podcast. Oh, I'm more of a whore. I'll say whatever they want me to. Do. That's that's how I roll. All right, fair enough. Yeah. Um, last Friday, as we went to air. Cook County, that's the county in Illinois where Chicago exists, uh, issued a statement that they are going to amend the county's amusement tax ordinance in order to clarify reporting requirements for small venue operators. I know. So basically, that terribly boring statement uh, has some really exciting repercussions. Well, well what, what does it mean? Because I'll be honest with you. I, I, I read the headlines, yeah. but I hadn't clicked on anything until you told me we were going to talk about this. So it seems like, and I, I have yet to read a very thorough reporting of this by a music outlet. I've seen some things in the Tribune. Basically, at the end of the summer, someone in the county office was looking at the ledger and said, hey, we can collect some overdue taxes from some small venues in Chicago because they're not paying what they owe and they owe it because they're not providing a cultural experience. And there was a, an ordinance that basically said if you had less than 700 people in your venue, um, you needed to be providing a cultural experience in order not to pay your amusement tax. But everyone seized on this and was like angry at the mayor of Chicago who had nothing to do with it. It was a county regulation and I think really took up arms in defense of not just dance music and DJing, but also hip hop and rap and other genres of music that were were suddenly being classified as art and their venues were being economically burdened by this ordinance. So they were being classified not as art. They were being classified yeah. as they were being classified as amusement, therefore right. 
the taxation was higher. Yes. If you're, uh, what what is amusement? Is that like skee ball? I think so. Is I that, think like, it's like a Dave and Buster's. Okay, yeah, that's that's what I think of when I when I think of amusement. Um, yeah. But yeah, and I mean, no shade to Dave and Buster's. That can be a good time. But but they should probably be paying higher taxes. than yeah. Than DJs or uh, basically they wanted like the, the house music events to be in the same category as like the opera. Right. Right. Which is you know I I I see it both ways. I mean, look, I I think it's great. Yeah. Um, this is a, a rare victory mm-hmm. for for this community where the the you know the powers that be in the system, you know we, we like to imagine kind of our, our world in a vacuum, but at the end of the day, you know the guy, the club where you're just going to party, they have to pay taxes on the money you're spending to come to the party, and a lot of these you know a lot of these places do operate on you know a fairly fairly tight margin, particularly these smaller venues. And you know, I, I know because I, I ran one way a million years ago in Detroit, and you know, people don't think about what you have to pay in insurance, what right. you have to pay, and this. And I'm not making, you know, I'm I'm not being like boohoo the 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 yeah, guy who owns boohoo the guy who a, owns the you club. Can you can also make a, you can also yeah. make a killing. That's been proven as well. <laughs> but the, the the notion that if you if if you are delineating between art and amusement. I, I think it's it's great that you know the decision has been made that you know our culture falls on the side of art, and that's that's been occurring yeah. more. That's you know I think just a month ago the big news was you know again out of Berlin, uh, you know the German government had declared Berghain to be a you know a cultural institution uh, rather than a which is funny if and, you've and, ever and, been into certain parts of that building. Well, not always culture that's happening there. But but the, the, but, but the, you could collect a culture and examine you, it under you could a microscope. A culture, yes. But they, but you know, they. If you, if you're going to consider what we do culture, then it should be treated. It should be treated on the same level as the opera or sure. as you know experimental theater. Um, that said, uh, Bergheim, this was a long fight for them. Right, and it wasn't very well publicized. Um, but they also made an effort to develop more of a cultural kind of programming in addition to the massive drug, sex, and techno orgy that happens every weekend. Yeah, and they, yeah. You know, they, they made a real effort to, to become a more rounded and culturally relevant venue in order to get that designation. And um, no offense to the venues in Chicago affected by this, but Berghain is so much bigger than any of them. This was really going to have a huge impact on a few small venues yeah. in Chicago. But, but Smart Smart Bar, I think, was involved, and Smart Bar is an absolute Chicago institution. Well, Smart Bar got involved, but it's unclear whether or not they would have been penalized. It didn't seem right, like they, they weren't one of the originals. But I think Evil Olive's been around for a long I mean, look, the, yeah. you, you need all levels, you need all sizes, and particularly in a city like Chicago, um, where, you know, last I checked... There isn't, five, you know, five to ten thousand people looking for underground house music events on any given weekend. Um, no. may, may, maybe there is. I, I, I think I haven't lived there in a very long they time. They go but. for it. Chicago's in kind of a, a a tough situation because they don't have a huge underground scene right now because they've been kind of boxed out of venues where it was happening. But. I will say, Smart Bar. You mentioned Smart Bar. Uh, the owner of Smart Bar is Joe Shanahan, who, of course, was uh, a friend of Frankie Knuckles from the early days. Uh, supported him at the warehouse. Yeah, I mean, Smart Bar has been a yeah. you know, Smart Bar has been you know covering you know hosting this kind of music consistently for thirty years. Yeah. and you know, look, we with all the stuff that went on with Fabric last month, and with just the the long history of you know the 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 business of dance music, you know running headfirst or headlong or whatever the saying is right. into 
you know, the mechanics of politics and taxation and just, you know, the man. It's it's like it's it's it's, oh, it's cool to have man. a win. I'm 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 not mad at yeah, it. Yeah, and I mean, it's, and Joe Shanahan himself pointed out that you know the city is seen by many as having an international reputation as a music capital. I think um, that's fair. Well, that's it. It's put your money where your mouth is. If you're gonna name right. uh, if you're gonna name a street Frankie Knuckles Way and walk around yeah. like and you know one of the things one of the eight hundred things about Chicago in your you know why Chicago is a you know international cultural capital brochure mm-hmm. is Frankie Knuckles. You're going to name a street after him. Then you need to also respect the, you know, the art. And- I, th- I think honestly what this shows is, uh, is how complicated governments operate because this was not a city thing. Well, it was a county thing. And now, yes, this has been announced. They're going to do this, but the amendment to this ordinance is still scheduled to be heard on the 26th of October. So it's not completely a done deal. So should, so should we tell people in Chicago to I, go yeah. to the, the, the council, the, the, I, this, county, the council county commission? Tech. But yeah. no, but this is important. And you're right. Like if, if this is what you need to, to start to, to see how complicated politics is. Yeah. You know. Every vote counts. <laughs> November 8th. But, uh, you know, the, all that all that aside, I guess it's, it's a win for the moment. But get, stay involved, America and the world. Get involved. This I, is, these are your communities. Um, we also heard news in this past week about Pacha. You say you call it Pacha? Should I call it Pacha? I've always said Pacha. Pacha. But I, I, it's also one of those words I never say out loud. It's the kind of word that I usually hear being spoken by, uh, like, British like, men in a K-hole. Yeah. Who are saying Pacha. <laughs> I was going to say Spanish tourists. Or Spanish tourists. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Pacha is the club in Ibiza. Is that good? That's yes. That yeah. that is correct. Um, and it's been a family-owned business for nearly half a century, and it's been sold now uh, to an equity firm that wants to convert the brand into a hotel and spa chain. Right. Would you go to a <laughs> Pacha-themed hotel? Well, I probably wouldn't, but then again, I would also not go to a Pacha <laughs> club. Uh, but you have. I am. I don't know that I have. Well, here's the here's the thing, Josh. So I'm not putting you on on blast totally, but this is designed for the the luxury brand of these hotels is said to be designed for the 45 and up set people who I guess, have, I guess that have is a me, history yeah. of clubbing and and raving, but yeah, well, now I, also have I, an income to spend on a luxury hotel. Yeah, I still never got got to the to the bottle service income level. Oh, damn it, to yeah. to appreciate it. But I, I will say I, what I find more interesting. Um, is you know Pasha being it's you know they're they're all over. I mean I think they have you know there there's there is or was a Pasha in New York. I think it just it, it closed. It closed in yeah. What? But just recently. But just yeah, in a year and a half, and closed for the same reason that everything closes in New York. Nothing lasts forever. Things cycle in and out. And it was in Manhattan. Yeah, I think so. it was totally yeah. But but the, what what's, what I find more interesting than all of this is, you know, there's been so much change in in a in a visa mm-hmm. <laughs> this year um, with you know with yeah. space closing. With you know Ushuaia taking over space, um, with the constant reports that the that that the you know cops are are finding millions of do- millions of euros in cash right. like hidden inside like inside these clubs like it's kind of the wild west out there and I I think or at least that's how it seems I, I think it's funny that more people kind of aren't talking about that well um, it's weird and I think I think that I. Ibiza, Ibiza has has somewhat waned in relevance as as its audience has kind of stayed the same and people have become big fans of dance music all over the world. They found other places to go 
this is it. this is true. You don't you don't have to do the right. the pilgrimage to Ibiza. And yeah. I was actually quite late to it. I I think I went my first time, you know, properly just like two years ago. I had, I had been on the island one or two other times for like twenty four hours. What were you doing on the island, but not actually going? to? Well, like I had been I had been I had been to IMS. These are just in case you're unaware. Ibiza is part of the Balearic Islands off the coast of Spain in the Mediterranean. So it's not like it's easy to get to, even if you're in Europe. They do oh, it's, direct it's, flights, but it's, yeah, it's it's not easy. But it has been a a dance music tourist destination. Yeah. for at least thirty years. Yeah, at least some 30 would say years. longer. It's it's always been this. You know, even in the nineties when we were. You know, reading the British rave magazines. Yeah. Basically, the British rave magazines were Ibiza rave magazines right. for June, July, and August. I would say even longer than that. I remember, like, you oh, know, yeah, I think starting I in, like, a... March, it'd be like, get ready for your summer in And, and the closings happen in early October yeah. because it's when you're, you know, right. in, you know, southern Spain. It's it made me think that British people just don't work. <laughs> well, the Europeans don't work. I'm still not, yeah. We, we all work way too hard. We should all spend more time. On holiday, but I don't know. We get more shit done. But no. Okay. Well, speaking of the state of the world, <laughs> there's been this film that's gone around, and I wanted to oh. talk to you about it, Josh, because I know it's important to you. But it's it's been making the rounds within the global techno community. People are kind of obsessed with it. It's called well, Hypernormalization. It's a, a documentary by this guy named Adam Curtis. He's a British kind of a posh guy. He went to Oxford. He's done a bunch of docs for the BBC. This is his newest. Tell me, tell me what it. Tell us what it is, and tell us also why why you're so into it. Well, <laughs> the the reason why I'm so into it has has almost nothing to do with dance music. So I'll, I'll, I'll preface that right now, and and I certainly hope that more than just you know more than just the dance music community is talking about this. But this actually you know brings to the point that you know the the basic premise and it is this this it's a 2 hour and 45 minute BBC documentary with, which is a very long time to watch with no commercials. Although I will say it flew by. I watched it. I watched it. It took like two sittings just cuz I had to go do something else uh-huh. about halfway through. Um but it was it it was wonderful to watch, but it it talks about like you know it's almost like the history of American foreign policy. Ever since you know 1975, and it sounds and, exciting. And but <laughs> and there's you know the 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 how it ties in with the Middle East and and the fall of the Soviet Union and you know and then the rise of the internet and with social media and you know one of the the major premises of of this thing and and this is not new, but that you know we all live in an echo chamber, and so you know because of these social media algorithms, we are convinced that you know. Everything, everyone agrees with us about everything because it feeds us exactly what we want. And we can't fathom how other people think differently. And we can't even get to those people. Like, we, we, you know, when, when we're posting, you know, an, an anti-Trump, you know, article on Facebook. And, you know, I think everyone kind of knows, like, nobody's seen that but your friends who are already anti-Trump. Because anybody who has the inclination to, to, to be liking Trump, even if they're your Facebook friends, they're probably not getting that in their feed. Right. And and so the fact that you said, well, it's really big in the dance music community. It's like, have you have you seen that meme where it's it's the guy from Futurama and he's kind of got that like ponderous look and he's going, uh-huh. is everybody a DJ or do I just know too many DJs? It's, it's kind of like it, it's it's kind of that. Um, yes. Is is the basic premise. And, and I've been going off because I it became clear to me um, after the first presidential debate when it was like, you know, 
record-breaking 84 million people watched. It's I like, think it's, more than that. I think close to, to 90, 95. Great. It's it's the motherfucking Super Bowl. But and that's kind do of we really want to accomplish to be the motherfucking Super Bowl? No. Almost I mean, a third of our country was watching the same thing at the same time. Yeah. And 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 what percentage of those people were watching because they, they're honestly looking for, for information and, and decision, you know, something to help them make a decision or – or anything, or, or as opposed to how many people are watching it for the sheer titillation of this fucking dumpster fire. But but so is what's wrong with that? What's what, wrong if someone's going to tune into the television to watch something for entertainment or do anything for entertainment, or that's go to the, go to a rave or I, I know a radio. But what's yeah, wrong with liking it for the wrong I, reasons? I, I posted this poorly at first, and it caused you know several people, you included. I think I kind of rubbed the wrong way with it. No, no, no. I just like <laughs> I like your provocation. But, <laughs> but but the problem is we – I'll say we in America, but I, I think it's it's universal that we like our entertainment to be confrontational, good versus bad. True. You know, you pick pick a team, pick a side. That is how we want our entertainment. And that, and that extends, I think, across all sorts of subcultures, whether you're talking about actual <clears throat> athletics or whether you're watching The Real Housewives. People like a, some combat. Th- there's like, a reason why yeah. Dead Mouse is so much more popular – than all the other people who make music just as good as Dead Mouse. Right. Not not not. not I'm not trying to put Dead Mouse's music in a hierarchy. I'm we saying still love you, Joel. That but there's. We also you know, love people. Love but that's watching okay. Them fight. That's okay because it's entertainment. Yeah. The problem is if 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 your entertainment is confrontational, when you insist on your politics being entertainment, then your politics become nothing but confrontational as well. And that's what I think we're seeing here. And you know that's kind of very much kind of what the. What the film gets into is talking about that, like, you're being entertained. You're not being governed. But isn't that – so? I mean, because the people who I've seen post this are very much engaged in what is probably an echo chamber of their own kind of, of communities, course, of whether course. that's the community of European techno DJs or, or American, like, underground ravers. So what – what are what's the problem that everyone's trying to solve? If you've built this community online, you the, have these friends. What's what's wrong with that? Because everything you're posting is generating revenue for the media outlets and for not just for the media outlet, but like for you know for Facebook. You know, it makes money for Facebook. It makes money for you know the New York Times. It makes money for Politico. It makes money for Time Warner Cable, who's pushing it out for you. Totally. It's, it's, it's this whole. You know, your click, your eyes, your attention is the most valuable valuable thing you have in the current economy. It is what drives everything. Do you think people I think I feel like people know that. I feel like people click on things knowing that they're you know supporting the thing that they're clicking on. Right, but I think people are 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 just starting to realize that it's gotten to the point where the you know the media and I I'm not blaming specific people I'm not saying there's well, some also, Roger Ailes type you know right because we do have to disclaim evil I mean, Mr Burns but it develops a system yeah and you and I have been a part of the media not the political media not, but we've been a part of the media for yeah and Herb, Herb got so. into some political stuff yeah. sometimes I don't know that we really had an impact but you know particularly like like when Obama was elected in 2008 I yeah. was the editor of Herb magazine and I mean, I remember we did uh, we did an article where we. We took the – there was a famous kind of – Rolling Stone did an Obama cover. It was mm-hmm. kind of this enigmatic image. And we went and put Lil Wayne's facial tattoos <laughs> That's right. on him and, and read that in the magazine. And we thought we were so fucking clever. Um, but but it, it's hit the point now where because we want to be entertained – because we treat our politics as though they're entertainment and because we like our entertainment confrontational, 
the media, which is no longer just this passive thing that we consume, it is this fully interactive thing that consumes us, has every incentive systemically, not consciously, systemically, to make all of our politics confrontational. I, I hear what you're saying, and uh, I don't know if I totally see it as a problem. I have to take my jacket but, off. I'm getting, uh, I'm getting like Josh warm. I'm getting worked up, up as, yeah. as we talk about this. But uh, it's interesting to think about, and I think we'll we'll probably end up hitting back on some of this a little bit later in the show. But since you mentioned Wheezy, I'm reminded that we have a guest here who's we actually do. worked with him. We'll be right back. I can't imagine what that must be like. <laughs> I want to I find out. We're going to find out in a second. We'll be back. It is no secret that making electronic music in particular, especially the tunes you end up hearing on the radio, is a collaborative process. And you know the names of the DJs, and you probably know the names of the vocalists, but you don't always know the songwriters. Whitney Phillips is one such songwriter. She's here with us today. Hello, Whitney. Hello. Thanks Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. So tell us, how did you get into this business, and how did you end up working with some of the artists that you've been working with? Oh, man. Um... It's so random uh, how the artist came to me. Uh, I started off wanting to be an artist myself and then came to Los Angeles and needed songs. So I started writing my own material um, and eventually got a publisher, signed with BMG, and they kind of just fed me projects kind of on the rando. And it was weird. Like sometimes it would be um, other collaborators, other artists, other writers that would bring uh, the placements to the table. So, yeah, I mean, there was no one way of uh, getting cuts. But you were working with a lot of DJs in a time when there were, there were, I would say there were labels looking for something called a top line. Sure. I feel like, well, explain to people what a uh, top line is. And so cheap. <laughs> yeah. Well, what is it? Yeah. Um, the the meaning of top line um, in the songwriter world is everything that's lyric and melody. So anything that's not the instrumental, everything that's being sung is the top line. So that's essentially what I do. But I, I yeah, that term it's it cheapens yeah. the word songwriter because it's such a collaborative process and right. you know everything is everything when you're in the studio working. So. Well, people don't say that as much anymore. It used to be like, oh, we got to get a top line for. Or they do. They kind do i mean it depends what world you're living in and who you're talking to but songwriters no i mean that's kind of like we don't refer to ourselves as top liners we refer to ourselves as writers for sure yeah because you're doing more than just like feeding some lyrics to oh yeah i mean we're working on chord progressions and you know sounds of synths i mean we're doing a lot of production as well so yeah how does a typical project happen like are you just sitting at home, like strumming your guitar, or <laughs> coyote ugly style, just yeah, up on my roof? Exactly. Uh, yeah. I mean, how do I go about writing songs? Or yeah. Like... And how and how does it get to the ears of like like Far East Movement, for example, who you right, have in right, your team right. with now? Um, well, for the Far East Movement song, they called me personally into the studio to write that song for them. So um, that was something that my that my publisher had set up for me and it, uh, the idea generated from that day in the studio. Um, but 
most songs that I write start from a lot of work that I do in my, you know, my own free time. So I would say probably 90% of the songs, which is a lot, but 90% of the songs that I write start from a, like a melody line or a concept that I've kind of cultivated on my own time and then brought it to the studio and then kind of planted the seed there and, you know, gave birth to it there. Are there... Are there songs that you did not envision going to a certain artist end up going to them? Oh, my God. All of them. Lil Wayne. Never should have said hello. That one was like, that's how I started my career was I wrote this song in Sweden. And it was kind of at the, you know, when EDM was really popping off. And we wrote this song on piano, which was just like this really sad, like, I never should have said hello. Like, I'm heartbroken. You know, it was a piano track. Um six months later it turned into an edm track and then six months after that we got it back and it had a, a 16 bar verse from little wayne on it and i was like i don't understand anything anymore <laughs> like got it um i wasn't complaining it was awesome but yeah i mean that was a good example <laughs> do you and so did you log- so hold on yeah. so I'm, I'm sorry maybe i should know yeah. this. so no. was it was it do they tell you this is going to happen or in this do, no. do, you, do you have control over over this at all or? i very rarely i mean but at the same time i'm kind of you know that was the beginning of my career okay. so i didn't expect to be looped into what you know little wayne's you know <laughs> diary and what he was doing um he didn't call you he like, did hey, not not today normally yeah but not that day um yeah, so, you know, it really depends. Artists move, they do make a lot of moves themselves these days. I mean, the Far East Movement one, I didn't know that that was out until the day it was out. You know what I mean? It was like the songwriter, you kind of show up, you do the work, you sign your split sheet, and you kind of just, you know, you hope that your managers and your publishers are looped in. Right. And more oftentimes than not, that they are. But um, Lil Wayne, man, he's stealth. So that track was with <laughs> Lil Wayne, Christina Milian, and the Stafford Brothers. Yes, yes. And it was called Hello. Hello. Well, I I wanted it to be called Never Should Have Said Hello, but yeah. Wayne was like, nah. Hello. Oh, so Wayne, Wayne oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, they changed the title. And you got to hang out with Wayne a little bit? Well, it's funny because <laughs> <laughs> my only, it's so funny how the world works, but my only encounters with Wayne have actually been on music video sets. So I met him briefly. It's where I met you, actually. Oh, yeah. Okay. At, at that video. Yeah. yeah. So maybe like, what was that, like three years, three or four years ago? Oh, well, yeah. Um, he showed up to the video set for um, the, the for Hello. There so was a kangaroo there. It was at this house there in the was Studio City Hills. There was a very drunk kangaroo. You can Google all these keywords and you'll get quite a story. <laughs> but <laughs> That's the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so th- I met him briefly. He was in his trailer doing his Little Wayne activities, and then he came in, and he was, he was, I love Little Wayne. I think he's so dope, and he just has, like, the funniest, most, like, rarest energy of anybody, and he's just a character, so, and he's wicked talented, so. So with, with Far East Movement, and what's the name of this track that you have with them now? It's called For Real Love. And it's on their album. That- that's coming out. That's yeah. called Identity, so it drops on the 24th. First, I believe so of October of October of this month. Yeah, cool. um, yeah, it's cool. Um, we got Tanache on it and uh, Marshmallow, so it's kind of a cool collaboration. I think it's a it's a it's a fun song. We we wrote it in the studio. Me and Kev from Far East Movement wrote it, and we just had a lot of fun. And it was you know it was just cool to yeah. work on it. But I think it's a good collaboration between those three: Marshmallow, Far East, and Tanache. It's a good like hybrid of all those artists. So. Are there artists 
you've worked with or whose songs who, or for whom you have written songs who weren't so nice? <laughs> you mean the, the artists that weren't very nice to me? Yeah, or... like who's a douchebag in the studio? Oh, God. So you know what's, what's really funny? <laughs> and this is, I mean... I have yet to get like a number one, but I've worked with some really big artists. I mean, I've worked with some like Wayne and and Kylie and, you know, like just, I don't know. I mean, I've worked from like the up and comers and the ones that have been on for like 20 years. And I've noticed that the, there are exceptions, but it's kind of like the newer ones that kind of have that like vibrato about them where you're like, take a seat boo like you don't know how this is gonna turn out you know um and the ones like kylie and you know so nice and so gracious and really don't have anything to like to prove you know what i mean so um but to be honest like everybody i've worked with has been so delightful like i mean i will say the nicest person i've ever worked with is tori kelly i just worked with her and she's country singer tori kelly no country pop (laughs) country singer she's like she came from country uh, Tori? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I thought she came from... She she's came like from, I guess... singer-songwriter. Okay. She's Scooter Braun's girl. All you know, right. she's... But um, crazy voice. And she's like the nicest girl I've ever met. So... Yeah. Super, super sweet. And she's in, you know, I believe in her. She's a new artist. Yeah. You know, I've had that theory for a long time just about, I guess, like, you know, DJs as well, where it's like, you know, th- there's enough talent out there. Right. So, so once you get past the talent aspect and the luck uh, aspect uh-huh. and this and that... Half the time, it's just the nicest per the nicest people sometimes get there because it's because they're fucking nice. Like yeah. we used to, you yeah. know, back yeah. when I used to book DJs week after week after week, it was you know okay, like you know who's gonna fill the club, who musically sure. are, are we into? But then it would be like, who do we want to have dinner with? Right. And right. so there, there's definitely you know you look at some of these huge stars and beyond, you know, making making some smart choices beyond having lots of you know just talent. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, just they were. They were just nice people, Absolutely. which made people want to work with I them. I will more. say and one of the and the the best examples I have of that, and and he's notorious for it, is Max Martin. He's the biggest mm. songwriter in the pop game, and he is just known for being so gracious and so wonderful to everybody. And that you know the industry is. I mean, the songwriter community at a certain level isn't that big. Like everybody talks, and we all kind of know each other. And the music industry as a whole, I feel you know at a certain yeah, tier everyone, everyone is pretty. pretty you know, it's high school. People yeah. know each other. So people talk. And um, the way you treat people really keeps you in the door for sure. You know, I don't know if it, it might like something else might get you in, but it definitely helps you stay mm-hmm. and keeps you respected. Have you ever had a diva moment in a studio where you were like, this is not happening? Do you know who I am? <laughs> Do you know who I am? No, I just, you know, say it to myself. Um, <laughs> um, I try not to. I mean, I'm sure there's been moments where I've definitely been misunderstood. That's. Yeah, for sure. Because I'm a very expressive, I think maybe intense personality at times. Well, but that emotion's got to go in the songs. What am I supposed to do with it? Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean I've never had like a I'm out of here like <laughs> that wasn't on my writer type of moment, Mariah Carey style. But you know what? That'd be awesome. Like I should try to do that once, just, yeah. just once, just, just epically storm out. Yeah. So I don't know if you heard about the situation uh, that kind of came to light last week. Um, Maddie Noise, who's featured on a Kygo track. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, so she she posted on Instagram last weekend that she was being prevented from performing at the Hollywood Bowl by Kygo's manager, and she attributed it to having the fact that she had missed a performance earlier on the tour because she was sick. 
And she, I mean, she ranted and she said, I'm sick of dealing with these sexist pigs in the industry. I'm standing Woo. up for myself. Damn. Kesha got involved. Kesha defended her. Oh. Yeah. Kesha weighed in. I mean, oh. that means something, I what guess. What about no Gaga? Just Kesha. I don't think Gaga uh, was made aware. Okay. I don't know. But Kesha definitely wanted to take a stand with Maddie Noyes, who's a young singer-songwriter. Mm -hmm. But one thing that came out in that is she said that she had not been paid mm. for performing. She had not made a, earned a performance fee on this on this tour. Is that yeah. Does that happen with songwriters? I've never heard of it. <laughs> yeah, well, I want to say I have, but I, I go ahead. Is she a song? Does she write the song, or is she just sing the she song? She wrote or, or in this capacity. I guess she's the singer, not the. No, she also wrote the song. She, okay. I mean, that yeah. was. But, but when you're on tour, yeah. you're singing the song. She said it's sad to like think performance royalties. Is that what you're? No, I, I just. She just said it's sad to think I can't even sing the song that I wrote and has over 330 million plays. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and she yeah she said she had not been she had not been paid. Yeah. Well, I mean, she said it's time to move she, on from doing favors for Kygo and focus on myself. That's interesting because I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, if she's getting paid for her publishing, but clearly maybe she's on not getting song. paid. Like she's not getting paid like to I be on tour. To be she honest said, with you, I don't know yeah. if that's a thing. That seems. I really don't know if that's a thing. I mean, that level. It, it yeah. could be. I really don't know because I haven't gotten to the point where I have been asked to perform. I have a lot of friends that have. Um, I don't know if they're getting paid. Um, I know my friend, my good friend Conrad Zuhl goes on tour with Kygo a lot. And yeah. He's followed him around and or they followed each other and they've had a really good run. I can't say if who's getting paid or who isn't. I know Kygo's getting paid. Yeah, Kygo's that's for getting sure. Paid. I know they're all getting paid on in that camp. So I know uh, uh, Parson James, who's also on a Kygo track, has mm -hmm. done a bunch of appearances with Kygo, including a bunch of TV things. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if he's getting paid either. I never thought to ask, but I know that he has definitely launched his career from having been featured on the Kygo record, and it seems like maybe there's... I don't know. I mean, I just think in general, like, Kygo knows that he's nothing without his song, and if he doesn't, he should know that, and you shouldn't be exerting you know, or doing any power moves to punish people that have helped you get to the level that you're at to perform at the Hollywood Bowl. I think that is like, yeah, that's low. It's really low. And I, you know, I've, I've met that camp. I've met Miles. They've been lovely to me. And I, there is two sides to every story. So who knows? And we should point out that Miles did issue an apology. Which I, he yeah, I saw that. Apologized to Maddie for the situation, and he's truly sorry. And yeah, and yeah. who knows what the story is? But I think that. Clearly, it was, you know, to punish her for something, which, you know, that kind of sucks. Yeah. But, yeah, we, we don't know what's, what else is going on. What's the worst thing that happens to songwriters in the industry? Because it feels like, I mean, if because you guys aren't always the name that people know, you're behind the scenes. Yeah. It seems like you can get taken advantage of from time to time. Um, I mean, I, I think that any writer that's in it for the real reasons doesn't, you know, we don't do it for fame or, you know, even like credibility. We do it for the love of our music yeah. and we do it for our publishing. And it's insulting when people feel like they can put their hands on your work and your publishing. And I think that that's kind of a songwriter's biggest battle right now is how do we really protect the work that that we do? Right. Who's protecting us? I mean, songwriters rights is like the number one thing on the table for us. 
right now. And I'm, publishing, for those who don't know, that's the rights to the actual written song, not the recording of it. Yeah. So as a songwriter, you can you can earn money if someone records that song, even if it's not the original recording. Yes, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I mean, the conversation with that is obviously changing because it's a new day for songwriting with you know streaming and Pandora and Spotify and just how songwriters get paid. Everything's changing. So it's, I think right now, just getting the artists and other writers and producers and DJs to respect us as writers and, um, you know, just kind of keep everything fair and even because yeah. a lot of everybody's eating except for songwriters these days and not to kill the vibe, but that sucks. You know, it's got to change. The vibe it has, has been to killed by the industry. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, you know, there's yeah. potential for it to change. And I mean, there's amazing, awesome DJs that want to support songwriters on the other side of the coin. Right. So it's just getting it, getting them all to think that way. Real quick, uh, Lady Gaga's album is dropping. It's been largely co-written and produced by Mark Ronson and Blood Pop, formerly known as Blood Diamond. Tight. What are, are there any expectations? What's the buzz on on this? Whitney, uh, you, I feel like songwriters have an ear to the ground on what's what's mm-hmm. going to be popping. Is this one? I will say that with Blood Pop and Mark Ronson involved, that excites me very much. So I'd love to see those two worlds meet. Yeah. Um, I'm interested to hear what the actual songs are like. You know, I feel like yeah, and that's the top line, if you will, <laughs> like like what she's singing about her content because she's a much more yeah like she's a different Gaga. She's Joanne now. She's Joanne. Yeah, and I'm excited to hear what Joanne has to say. Supposedly, it's out now. You can take a listen, but supposedly not a lot of club bangers. So it's a it's a new it's an evolution, I guess. I'm cool with that. I think. Change of subject. I have a question for you guys. I know you know how to swipe left or swipe right, but do you know where your G-spot is? I know exactly where my G-spot is. All right, well, that's good. (laughs) You don't need to tell us, but that is an important question to know the answer to. And uh, sex expert Salm Isadora thinks everyone should know. Katie had a salacious conversation with Salm. Check it out. How has the game changed for millennials and not even millennials, just people that are going out, let's say people that used to go to clubs. How has the game changed for people that are out there looking for sex and love and relationships and dating and all that? Well, the game I think has changed for me. Uh, I'll speak for myself to my advantage. Mm -hmm. So as a female 40, uh, being on Tinder, I date a lot of millennials. <laughs> so if there's millennial women who are complaining they can't meet a guy because of Tinder, I want you to know I just took five of your dates while you were complaining. <laughs> because I use technology to my advantage. Well, that's a very refreshing perspective on it because I feel like so much of the coverage around Tinder is like, oh, it's ruining us. It's ruining dating. It's cheapening sex. And it's especially harmful for women. What do you make of those critiques? I am exhausted of the scapegoating that happens around sexuality. Before Tinder, we scapegoated something else. So what people need to do is get real. Get real about sex, get real about what you want, and start to actually ask for what you want. So I'm not worried about women, poor women. Women need to learn to say, before I drop my pants and let you, <laughs> let you put your D in my P, <laughs> before I do that, I'm going to have a conversation with you about the kind of relationship I'd like to have. Mm. But women don't do that. Like, I run a weekly sex column, and I had a younger girl 
right in and she said her boyfriend, you know, didn't give her orgasms. And she's like, but I don't know how to tell him because it seems too personal. And I was like, baby, it's a little late. I'm going to give you some tough love. I was like, boo, boo. Do you know you already pulled your pants down, right? He already put his penis in your vagina. That's pretty personal. I think you might want to have a conversation now. But we're not trained for that. The problem is we have been trained to be ashamed of our sexual like desires and to pretend that's not what's on the table. And then we scapegoat Tinder, and then we scapegoat something else. So for both men and women who want to date, I think Tinder is just a reflection of you. Mm-hmm. I meet assholes on Tinder, and I meet great guys on Tinder. That's a reflection of me. That's a reflection of any group of people. I'll walk in a bar. Some of those guys are great. Some of them are going to be jerks. Some of them are going to like make rude comments. Some of them are going to be respectful, whatever you call respectful. You know, and I think what you have to redefine, you know, what, what you call respect. Because the mistake most people make is that they mix up sex and respect and love. And they put all those in a blender together. And then, like, you'll have somebody say, oh, Tinder's so bad and da da da, or guys only want to hook up. I bet you aren't asking for anything that you really want. I bet you're laying your body down, having sex, without using your voice, without telling them the truth of what you want, and complaining to your friends about it later. Are you going to spend three days calling all your girlfriends, whining and gossiping instead of finding real solutions? The problem is most people don't want to be real. You know, they don't actually want to own and say, like, like how many women are ready to actually look at a guy in the eyes and practice real naked intimacy and say, like, before we have sex, you know, this is where I'm at. Or this is what I'd like. So it, it sounds like, from what you're saying, that this is not something that we need to be scared of, but this is actually a huge opportunity because the, the volume of the situation has changed, so you are inherently getting more practice. I think I'm a, a tremendous optimist about the human race, even though I also think it fucks up all the time, <laughs> myself included. So as human beings, we have these like kind of crazy flaws that we like, I love you, I hate you, I, you know, I want to have sex, I feel guilty and ashamed. So we have all these like dualities. Um, but I do think that we're in a very hopeful time and something like Tinder Well, again, using myself as an example, um, Tinder changed my life for the better. Uh, Before that, I used to feel that I really might run out of great guys that I wanted to meet because I was like, oh, I don't want to keep like, I don't want to walk into the gym and have had sex with four of the guys here. It's just like, we're all animals at the end of the day. They'll smell it on me. people go like, it doesn't matter. I'm like, no, you can smell it. We're all like lions on the savannah. If I fuck four other lions in this room, you will smell that on me and it will change your behavior pattern. Mm. (laughs) But, But I do think that if, again, if we use this moment in time or so for, so for me, when I started going on Tinder, I realized there really isn't a bottom to this. Right? And as soon as there wasn't that scarcity, I stopped having so much fear and anxiety that I, oh my God, that last guy was the last guy. Like the re- last relationship I was in that wasn't a good one. I was like, but oh my God, what if he's the last guy who knows how to make love to me like this? What if that's the last, what if I walk away from everything else that I know isn't healthy? And that was the last one who knew how to make love to me the way I wanted. And then 
I found Tinder. And I realized, which I started as a joke, and I realized you can just keep swiping. It's all like, you know, a percentage. There's some nice people, there's some not nice people, but at least instead of not playing, I've opened up a whole new avenue to meet people. Now I meet 50% of the guys I date, I meet in person through just events, places I go, and 50% I meet through Tinder. So how do you, because there has to be some sort of metric set or precaution, not even precaution, but you have to, like you said, know what you want before you get into it. So how do people, especially let's say young people who aren't as used to deciding what they want, set themselves up for success in the face of this endless pool uh, that is found on these apps? I think, again, radical self-honesty. You know, so one of my larger agendas is creating a cloud with new sex, sex education that is readily accessible um, because I think knowledge is power and most people, you're saying these poor, you know, it's again, oh, what about these poor young people growing up in this generation? Let's give them decent sexual education to make empowered choices. Do you know that most women don't even know their own genitalia anatomy? I teach, I, I do, a, I do like, uh, I'll talk about, there's, women can have like seven kinds of orgasms. Women are like, really? Like most women don't know where their G-spot is. They don't know an internal orgasm from a clitoral orgasm. Do you understand, like, we're going to outer space and you haven't discovered your vagina. <laughs> how about we empower people by teaching them how their bodies function sexually? And then I think you're, you'll make better choices in dating. But I, I do think sex is a big part of the equation and knowledge of yourself sexually without having shame I don't think that'll make everybody run around fucking each other and going crazy. I think that will make people actually slow down, take more time and thought before they do it because that shame game just makes people repeat dysfunctional patterns. Take, for example, like uh, countries like, you know, Scandinavian countries where at night they show people having sex and nudity. On television. They, on television. So there, we already have cases. We can do a case study. We can say there's generations of kids who've grown up in these Scandinavian countries, and when the regular program is over later at night, full-on sex, nudity on TV, they're not more sexually active. They're definitely less sexually violent than our own U.S. culture because of the access they've had. So again, I think when we scale access and we own it and we're honest and we educate then we win. Now, if you scale it and you scapegoat and you try and hide all your insecurities about sex and dating and relationships the way most people have done, now you've just scaled your problems, your insecurities, and fooling yourself. Do you think this type of education and this information is more important for women? I think actually it's really important for men and for women. I think that we would live in a really different world if men were like taught how to train their dicks versus telling women to cover their bodies. I talk to a lot of men and a lot of men in higher positions right now who are so concerned about porn and they're like, oh, I feel so bad for women now. I'm like, don't feel bad for a woman now. You know, this is not, they're like, oh, what time, again, what time are you talking about when your grandma was covered head to toe? I would rather be me now than your grandma. What you used to say, protected women really just kept them in a box and there was more harm and sexual violence to them then. So, you know, I, I think I think it for women now and for men, learn how to train your instrument. 
you have a vagina, you have a penis, it's your sexual instrument. You might want, you know, you were born with it, you're gonna be with it your whole life. It basically makes most of your decisions for you, whether you know it or not. Like you walk in a room and your pussy's like, dee dee dee, over there, dee dee dee, over there. In fact, your pussy's probably responsible for most of the food choices you make. Have you ever thought about that? Like you're, you're like depressed or you're a little lonely, you go eat some ice cream, your vagina decided that. <laughs> your vagina was lonely and so she had Ben and Jerry's instead of maybe like an orgasm or actually like dealing with an emotion. Sure. Sure. Okay. So, I mean, inherently, <laughs> inherently what we're talking about here, like it seems like sexual health, actual uh, safety precautions are all wrapped up into what you're talking about. I, I think that sex education include, you know, education on safe sex. One of the things that's going on, there's a rise in STDs with millennials because people are trading more and more, say, sexual content, dick pics, you know, it's normal now. It's normal to take like, oh, a sexy photo of my breasts and text it to some guy you're dating who, when you think about it, maybe you don't even know them that long. Or even if you did, it doesn't matter. It just means we're trading sexual content, you know, through text messages more than we ever have. Um, and we're not having an equal amount of safe sex education to balance that. And part of the problem is Facebook and Google have this moralistic stance that they don't want to put sex in front of consumers. But the problem is consumers are DMing each other all day long. <laughs> and millennials are getting more and more STDs because they've got more and more dick pics and more and more titty pics and less and less safe sex education. Mm -hmm. I mean, I grew up at a time when, you know, like the war on drugs and yeah, it was corny, but at least we were talking about it. Like we need to have an update Right? If, if all our software is changed and scaled and porn's available and we have Tinder, why don't we have an update on sex education and safe sex and health? I really want to do a tour of like college campuses and really talk about that and have it be sponsored by Trojan or somebody, you know, like a serious player in the game because it's important to again have these conversations. If people are going to have sex more readily available to them, if they're going to use dating apps, if they're going to be trading dick pics and titty pics, you know, then we should we should scale the sex education and safe sex education. Do you see an evolution in sex education in a way that would make a difference in the way that you think needs to happen now? It's not there now and I'm creating it. So, as I'm given access to more powerful, you know, people in positions, a TV show, things that can influence mainstream thought. One of the main things I'm bringing is this idea that we need to reinvent our sex education and guidelines about safe sex in order to update ourselves with all the porn, all the internet, all the, you know, everything everybody's scapegoating, complaining about. Let's actually do something about it and let's find a way to be connected now, in the age of disconnection, mm -hmm. let's find a way to be more connected than our grandparents were. Because, you know, like we talk, intimacy isn't something that most humans have ever done. Our grandparents didn't know how to be intimate with each other, not sexually or probably verbally or emotionally. So the main issue is, can we learn to be maybe on a pivot of human evolution? I think we are. I think we are on a pivot of human evolution and we are, well, we are changing. So everything does have to change. And of course, education 
and larger models um, take longer to update, right? They have to now catch up. But I do, uh, within the next like three to five years, want to have a total update of sex ed in all public schools. And if that was difficult, we'll just put it on a cloud. Everything's available and accessible again. So if you won't let me do it through the old hardwire system, then I'll just put it on a cloud. And thank you, technology. Right. Thank you, same technology <laughs> that brought you Tinder yeah. is going to bring you how to use Tinder successfully. Uh, yeah. and, and, and how to, you know, how to learn how, how do we have sex, love, satisfaction um, in this modern age with so much change. Sam is Adora. Thank you so much. Tell us what you're up to. Um, so I'm up to so many things. You can check me out on samisadora.com. If you want to learn more about Tantra, you can go to freetantragift.com. Um, you can check me out on Instagram at samisadora, um, Facebook at samisadora. If you like to be a little naughty, I'm unfiltered on Snapchat when I feel like it. I'll just sometimes do a free the nipple Friday or I just really, again, I'm shameless. I don't care anymore. So I would go to my Snapchat if you really want to see what's up. You heard it here, guys. All right, so... I um, feel like we've all been doing this wrong. Ugh. <laughs> but Josh, you you've had you <laughs> yeah. are like a Tinder success story. I, you... I, I, I am. I'm I'm marrying a Tinder date in three weeks. Ah, uh, two I weeks. Mean, she's not. She's no longer just a Tinder date. <laughs> she's legitimately your what fiance. Started out you live together. A, yes. Yeah. Yes. No. No. I'm not. I'm not going on Tinder <laughs> in two weeks. Finding someone. <laughs> then getting married. But you know what? If you were, I'd support that, that, that would be extreme tindering. I mean, why, why is that not a TV show? Extreme tindering. That's good. That that. I think that could just be a rough sex. Please don't put show. this on me. I, I want to like, roll with this idea. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, sorry. I'm going to write this down and mail to myself. You know myself. what? Actually, it's good. It's out there, and uh, you know, it's J- Josh Glazer's idea. Yeah, there we go. For the That's love true. of Ray J, all over again. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it'd be what was that one with Flavor Flav? Flavor oh. of Love. I mean, basically, Flavor Flav had a show where he was trying to look for the right woman to swipe right. Mm. Well, I guess that's what does Tinder it. turn everything into a to a, a game into a game into yeah. a, into a reality show. I but don't it's know. a game you've won, Josh. I, I did, right. and and I Whitney. I have. No, I did not. Yeah, you have. You <laughs> but have. But I not also yet. took myself out of the game because I just don't. I don't know. Here's a I question: just, Would you ever? I don't think it's for me. Would you ever date someone in the industry, or is that toxic? Um, I would date somebody who was removed from the songwriter world. Right. I do like not want to show... What's that? Like you date a DJ? I would not date a oh. DJ, but that's for a whole different <laughs> array of reasons. Um, yeah. I, I, just, I just don't want to see it. Like, I don't, wanna, I don't want it there in front of me, especially if things go bad. Are you kidding me? Nowhere to run, nowhere yeah. to hide. It's nice to date someone who doesn't... It's nice to date someone who doesn't know what you do or who you are. I, to, I need somebody to who, carry a conversation with To date someone who's not going to listen to the show is a really great thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not that... I wouldn't date any of you, dear listeners. I would date I'm like a, a lawyer <laughs> or a manager or somebody that was like out of my biz. You know what I mean? Right. But somebody, but somebody like, who still understands your lifestyle. Somebody that can like someone talk to me about your, this stuff is great. Right. But I will tell you that my short time on Tinder last year, 
I was swiping on people that I knew in the industry, oh. including like people at my publishing company and Ouch. stuff. And I was like, this is fucked. Like, how am I going to look you in the eye ever again? Because it was kind of taboo. You were not in finding day, love in like, that hopeless place. No, but back in the no, day, you I was finding you... shame and like <laughs> other things. But before that, you would have been stuck just dating people who were like at your publishing because you didn't meet anybody else. So it's it's yeah, you know it's, it's it's a cool way to you know Ouch. meet like I <laughs> I literally like like my fiance when we met on Tinder we had you know it tells you like how many like friends you like who your friends in common are like mm-hmm. on Facebook or whatever. Okay. Or they used to do that. I don't know if it still does, but we had zero. Oh right, and they're like, how friends. do you know? I bet you know she she is a she is a you know a real estate attorney. Oh how cool! Who, she's been to one uh, median show. Like that's the I think extent it's Maddie of Maddie. On, she's glad Pasha. You know. Pasha. 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 Maddie. My my Midwest is really, <laughs> it's really coming Abitha. out. <laughs> so I think in, in that way it's it's kind of cool, but I don't yeah. know what this has. That's to do awesome. With. That's awesome that she's that removed though, and you had no friends in common. Like I've just never. L. A. is so. I, I think ever it, it probably helped that I was living in Berlin at the time. Yeah. So I was I was literally just swiping purely recreationally. You guys, you guys have no idea how hard it is for in the gay world. It's just smaller. Yeah. I'm trying to sound like I'm sad about it. But you have more options here. I mean, I have like friends that are up in Seattle that are just like get like if one thing goes wrong and like one relationship gets, goes wrong, it's they have true. nowhere to go. Yeah. If you like, are oh if you are a gay or lesbian person in a small city it is much harder to date without right. without ruining your dating pool what did katie say in this interview that was like shocking to you that was shocking well, it have, wasn't what I katie have... said it was more what Sam was saying that i thought was just so uh like the the idea of having a conversation with someone before <laughs> you not. have sex with them <laughs> i i don't think a lot of people are going to want to do that not if you don't want to fucking like. I mean, yeah. well, how, how soon before sex? I mean, like, like, like as, as you're un, about... as you're unbuttoning, like you're or... on you're on Tinder or Grinder or whatever. You swipe, you tap, whatever. Maybe you're out at the club. Maybe you're up in a rave and you're coming back to someone's place and you're, you're like, about to bone. You're making it out. Yeah, and okay. then I guess she's I never. Like, I, I, up. Maybe what I'm too old. I, I never got to use Tinder in that way. Like I, oh. Like I, <laughs> wow! I just shut, I just shut it down. No, but, that's good. So you um, met Corey, and you guys went out on a date. We went, we we met, we we had some drinks. We talked for about two hours. Okay. Yeah. We agreed to then. See, that's I think go, out, go out again a few yeah. days later. You and that was, use Tinder for love, which is well. Great. No, I I I'm just I'm I'm perfectly willing to wait seventy two hours for sex. <laughs> yes, that's amazing. But, Me too. But and, no. and, but I think I, and I found that even when I was doing that in Berlin, which is a much more kind of hedonistic twenty four hour crazy, you still like. Yeah. I wasn't using Tinder to try to you know find someone to go home with me tonight. You're a good if I man. want that, I can go to a, no, I can get that in the club without Tinder. Uh, but I. <laughs> <laughs> you use it. You use it to have coffee with one new human being a week. Oh, and that's smart. Then if coffee you if, and if, a bagel, if, that's also an yeah, app. that's also an app. Yeah, and if if you coffee if you end up sleeping with that new human being uh, every week, that's fine. But you know, put it in the context of get it out of that that oh, I'm looking to scratch an itch sure. right now, and you know. You're... So let me ask you something. <laughs> oh, because what she said on that interview is like. I mean, that would be mortifying for, for, I think, both parties involved if you were, like, about to do it and you were like, hold up, what are your intentions here? Like, he would yeah. run, you would look psycho, and it would be game over. So, like, what do you think – like, what's the solution to that? Like, where's the happy medium I, there? There has to be a way know. to – but, I mean, she has a point, which she was saying that, like, you know – 
if you're going to do something as intimate as have sex with someone, or as up close and personal, you shouldn't be afraid to say what it is that you want. So false. Right. But that was also <laughs> so wrong. Maybe that this is are, why you're that the was also two very different They're divided worlds. Yeah. They're divided worlds. Maybe. And when they come together, that's a relationship, <laughs> which is rare. Well, speaking of sex, Spotify, and I, th- I think this is related, Spotify announced what the number one most streamed song ever now is. Can you guys guess? Any any guesses? It's a song from this year. It's a, It was a song of the summer. It's probably not a song I've ever heard. It might, that Close. might be true. Closer? No, no, it's, no, 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 it's no, no, thank no. God not the Chainsmokers. It is Drake's One Dance. Oh, oh no way. And that it's the most streamed song ever on Spotify. That title has been held by Major Lazer, Lean On, and Avicii, Wake Me Up. But I like that. I feel like... Drake now's what? What do you think was the first song streamed on Spotify? The, probably something terrible. Because that, that was the most advertise. that was the most streamed song of all time on Spotify. <laughs> it's a, for 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 it's a minute. I guess for, they for, didn't for put out a press release on that one, <laughs> mm. so we don't know. Is is it me or does the whole? Do I? I have a hard time being impressed by these kind of digital milestone numbers. Right. Because... You're like, 17 cents. Everything's... Well, okay, that, that's one point. But also, you know, things are growing. Like, of, of course there's going to be a new, you know, most stream Spotify song every right. year as more people use Spotify. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to get mad when they would, you know, every couple of years a new movie would be the highest grossing film of right, all time. And, but it's always Who the fuck growing. cares? Because movie tickets cost more. Still, how many more people sat their ass in the seat for Star Wars than anything? Yeah, yeah, yeah so. I mean, th- you know, these are uh, these are just things that I think get, that promoted to. It's a it's a cool milestone. Like that's. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, kind Josh, of like it's cool. You know, I mean, my friend released a song on look, Spotify. I'm, I'm not trying she's... to piss in anyone's Wheaties, and I'm, I'm very happy for Drake. <laughs> Please don't. But, <laughs> Please don't. But I don't know. I just I, listen. I, you're getting married from Tinder. Like you're good. <laughs> like, we need. Yeah, the rest of us need Drake's success. <laughs> Clearly, okay? you have the golden touch here. Look, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm really happy for you, Drake. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, it's is is that what's going to make a song matter someday, or can any maybe can any song matter? If 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 the if the benchmarks we use are constantly going to be usurped in in the yeah. name of growth, yeah, uh, which now point. gets back to hypernormalization. Uh, yeah, <laughs> where, you know, <laughs> the system is broken, man. Yeah. Moving on from from Drake. <laughs> Bye, Drake. We do have some new music we want to talk to. Crystal Rodriguez is here in the studio to talk to us about some of that. Hey, Crystal. Hey, thanks for having me, Zell. Yeah, of course. Um, this, I think, relates to the hypernormalization subject in a way. Moby's new video for Are You Lost in the World Like Me? Yes. Um, so uh, Moby just released a new album, uh, These Systems Are Failing, which came out on October 14th via Mute Records. And uh, the video was animated by uh, illustrator Steve Cutts, who incorporates social is- issues into his work. Um, so in this in this video, it shows a young boy who's kind of navigating the world um, among people who just seem to be stuck to their smartphones. Um, I won't detail the whole video for you, but it has some very disheartening and just straight up depressing content. Um, and in a so state- basically, mm-hmm. it's like a condensed version of the two hour and forty five minute documentary yeah. <laughs> that Josh wants us to watch. <laughs> yes, I, I did actually watch the video today before coming in, and it's it's really well done. It's I, I love the style. It's very like kind of Betty Boop. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wow, yeah. But you know that just shows that Moby's as old as I am. Um, not that I'm as old as Betty Boop, but um, but at least knows. I what think Moby's o- older than than you. A little bit, yeah. But we're definitely of that same kind of you know 
Gen X. Okay. Yeah. You know, ilk. Um, but I, you know, I, I thought the video was really cool. Um, I don't know who watches music videos these days. Well, so. it's racked up. It's racked up several million views. Okay, so I guess a lot uh, of people in the first two days from. It's, I think it's on Facebook. I don't know if it's on YouTube. Yeah. But. I'm always suspicious of Facebook Plays. I'm just suspicious, man. You're just mm. suspicious of everything. But because, you know, well, especially a music video, like it, it, it starts to move as you scroll yeah. by and whatever. But I, uh, from, from a music standpoint, am I allowed to critique? Sure. The music? Yeah. <laughs> is, is, am I interrupting? Go in. Okay. Go for it. I, I hate it when Moby tries to do too many things at once. Oh. And that's what this album is to me. <laughs> Ooh. Like like if, Moby. if if Moby wants to like make a you know a record of of you know using you know stirring torch song blues. Awesome. If Moby wants to make just like a party house music record. Awesome. When Moby wants to make a you know <laughs> Punk leaning electronic like sounds like, like a children's book. Moby wants to like. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, let it him live. Kind, yeah. kind of falls short. You know what? Mo- I know, I'm, Moby's I'm, earned the right. He can do what he wants. I liked his book. Yeah, he's, he's, he's how's the music video? It's I think it's cool. Is it it's moody depressing. and dark? It's, it's very moody and dark. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty on brand. It's not a, <laughs> exactly. It's no party. It's no Southside featuring Gwen Stefani. I'll say that. Mm. It's also not the stars video featuring cameos from JC Chazé and others. Flashback <laughs> 2001. Uh, Soul Clap has an album. Yes. Tell us about it. Um, well, they just released their self titled album on Friday via Soul Clap and Wolf and Lamb's Crew Love label, along with uh, K7. Crew Love, love them. It's uh, their second following 2012's E Funk, and part of it was recorded in George Clinton's recording studio in Tallahassee, ten- uh, Florida. That's random. Well, right? um, they actually collaborated back in 2015. Oh, that's right. Yeah, well, they've been doing, I think they hooked up, like they always, every year at uh, in, in Detroit during Movement, there's like a like a Red Bull soul clap party, and they always bring in like, one year it'll be George Clinton, one year it was uh, Bootsy Collins or something. I, I don't remember. It's who, still but like, random, right? Like, like George Clinton and, and I mean, I, okay. I, I'm not judging. I'm just saying that's, it's unexpected. I'm not judging, but that's <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> no, no, no. I love it. Well, it was a, uh, it was a heavy collabor- <laughs> uh, collaborative album. It also had crew lovers Nick Monaco and Wolf and Lamb. It had Funkadelic's Billy Bass Nelson and uh, Nona Hendrix, who some people might know as a founding member of LaBelle of Lady Marmalade fame. Definitely. Hey. Um, so, yeah, if you like your house music with a ton of fun, funk, groove, and soul, this one's for you. I just had to shoot Whitney a look because she was starting to singing Lady Marmalade. Oh, well, I had to see my we, hand? We see can't afford hand? the rights to that song. So. Oh, well, I always sang four notes, so Don't, that's almost yep. lawsuit, but not. <laughs> yeah. Um, tell us about Dusky's record. All right. So, um, Dusky finally released their long-awaited second album, Outer, on their 17 Steps label, um, I've been a fan since their 2011 debut, Stick By This. And it's kind of a departure from that label, um, from, from that uh, album. Um, before they were Dusky, they were, they were known as Celerity, and they were releasing this kind of like deep, progressive house music on Anjuna Deep. And um, with this new label, they've been exploring new influences like drum and bass, um, early prog house, and classic 90s rave music. And you can really hear that on this new album. Um, I love it. Do you um, do you think this is going to be a breakthrough for them? Because I feel like they've been someone who people have been talking about for a while, like Dusky. It's going to happen. Is that going to happen? I don't know. Like I, I personally felt like Stick By This was a better album, but I think this shows them, you know, in exploratory mode. Versatile artists. Yes. Um, 
Zed's Dead, their record, they're like Canadian heroes. Yes. And the thing that the only thing that bothers me about them because I really like them is that they spell it Z E D S. There's no apostrophe. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> I do get caught up. Josh, I, that multiple, should bother multiple, you too. Multiple dead Zeds. <laughs> yeah, Zeds. Multiple people dead. named Zed who have departed. Zed's yeah. Dead. But could you Sorry, imagine I'm, if there were two mic. D's instead in Zed instead of one? I don't. I. Oh. Like the other Zeds. Oh, like, Zed's another person, like right? Yeah. Zed. Oh, because that's like an EDM thing, right? They all the names sound the same. <laughs> yeah. It's an ED- where Where have you been living? <laughs> I've, been, oh, I've been in a techno cave. I've been in a techno cave. Do I know who Zed is? Uh, no, yes. there, was another, there was another one that I don't remember what it was, but I just found out it's like it's like someone who like changed one letter. Like their their name is one letter off. Oh yeah. From another EDM artist who's already way more famous than them. Oh, David, get. <laughs> no. Steve Aoki. Yeah. <laughs> he was trying for it. Yeah. My my Martin old DJ Gary. partner. My, my old D, my old uh I know. <laughs> we won't get into that on this show. No. Um the the one other bit of music that I wanted to shout out is Dragonette. They have uh, another single out in advance of their next album. Uh, it's called Body to Body. It's really good. Yeah. The the, uh, the previous singles were, I was kind of like whatever about, but this one I'm Why? I'm into. Why is it good? It's a good sexy dance track it's and sexy like in a way that i feel like what would you liken it to i would liken it to the music equivalent of uh a tinder date oh sexual yeah sex sexual indeed all right we've reached the point of the show called what killed the vibe josh and i are going to quiz each other on things that did or did not kill the vibe i definitely killed the vibe no you did not kill the vibe um Josh, would you like to go first? Uh, sure. So, uh, uh, Zell, Tinder hookups. Did not kill the vibe. No, definitely does not kill the vibe. No. Uh, subtweets? Do kill, we talk about kill sub- the, subtweets killed the vibe. Do we talk about subtweets? We did not. Oh, just okay. In general. I, because they were probably being... I just figured out how this is supposed to work. Yeah, we don't always have to talk about it. We can just talk about <laughs> it. <laughs> the laughter... Oh, this, uh, the laughter of children? Kill, laughter of children kills the vibe. Um, oh Sorry, kids. <laughs> Keep it to yourself. Uh, the California drought kills the vibe. I thought that vibe was already killed. I thought we're out of the drought. It, well, ra- it North- rained this week. In Northern California, officially they're out of drought. In Southern California, we're not. If you guys are listening to this outside of Southern California, which many of you are, please send water. The persistent popularity of Kygo. Mm, does not kill the vibe, but Kygo killed the vibe last week with what he did to Maddie. So we'll say that. All right. Uh, if we keep going. Dick pics. No. Dick pics kill the vibe. <laughs> Always? Yeah. Oh. No one, who wants it? Like, guys, don't send dick pics. Don't send dick pics. No one's ever like, oh, yes, a photo of a penis has just arrived on my phone. You mean they were lying? (laughs) Definitely were lying. (laughs) Good thing you're tied down. (laughs) Bob Dylan gained the Nobel Prize. Kills the vibe. Yeah, he doesn't deserve it. Buying Pasha. That, That probably killed the vibe, but... You know, those it was time going to Pasha. That kills the vibe. <laughs> that was our, the vibe was yeah, already killed. Yeah, exactly. Uh, filling in for Katie. That did not kill the vibe. Thank You've you. Done a great Thank job. You. My my vibe is uh, I'm I'm vibrating. Yes. And Josh, questions for you. The the end of the seemingly endless debates. Oh, total total. The not. end. The end is it does not kill the vibe. Okay. Uh, this is like reverse Jeopardy. I have to remember know, that answer is. in the form of a question. Tit picks. 
do not kill the vibe. Oh, okay. You, but it's a snap, snatch, snaps. I think is what you were looking for. Oh wow! <laughs> See, that's okay. This is the thing, guys. And this, I'm saying this to my to my straight friends and to my to my gay friends. Don't send the dick pics unless you're specifically asked for one. Okay, that's not a good response to a lady sending you a photo of her breasts. You I just... would say even if they ask for one, don't do it. Really? Yeah, it's a setup. Oh. Okay. We're just trying to see where your head's at. And if you, you know s- what I mean? And if, and if you send it, it's you've no, fallen you for failed. the trap. Okay. Is, right. this, is this all the time? Or This I... is, I mean, if you're trying to date a hoe, send a dick pic. If you want a classy lady, don't be sending a that dude, send dick pics. What if you're trying to be a hoe? Oh, then do whatever you want. All Live right. your life. Being a hoe kills the vibe. Three-hour documentaries. Uh, did not kill my vibe. Okay. I, 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 well, right. <laughs> Martin Garrix. Uh... Ambivalent about the vibe. Okay. Songwriter songwriter royalties withheld. No, the vibe killer. Yeah. Amsterdam in the fall. Does not kill the vibe. Grinder hookups. Uh, does not kill the vibe. No, they don't. <laughs> Sex talks, like the one we've had today. Does not kill the vibe. Zed. You don't uh, even know who Zed is. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully next week we'll have some clarity on Zed. Uh, for now, we should let you know that Don't Kill the Vibe is recorded live in Hollywood at the Create TV studios by our A-team executive producer, Alex Munoz, audio engineers, Andrew Conde, and Anthony Russo. Allison Snyder is our creative director. Theme music today was Memory by Electric Treasure. Thank you to our guests, Whitney Phillips and Crystal Rodriguez. And a special thank you to Josh Glazer. Listen to his show, Rave Curious, wherever you listen to this show. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, and Friendster. Okay, not really Friendster. At DKTV Podcast or at Don'tKillTheVibe.com. Until next time, Don't Don't Kill kill the the Vibe.